Real quick question for you. What is your impression of what it would be like to work at a church, right? Have you guys ever thought about this? I mean, some of you, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I dream that would be the best job ever. I could go work at a church. Because I mean, those people, they are so nice, right? <laughs> and you imagine, right, you have like, you have like a, a bad day and you come to work late and people are like, you know, Jesus was late to Lazarus's thing. <laughs> Worked out for his glory. You know, and you know, we always say phrases like, oh, and also with you. And also with you. You know that phrase, like nobody ever says that? Uh, hey, you can go for, no, 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 no. My brother, my brother, my sister. Okay, none of this is happening. I hired a bunch of smart Alex, right? Like me, and our, and our you know, whole staff is kind of pretty regular, pretty chill. You know, now we get along and we have a lot of fun, obviously. But once again, ministry is, is difficult. It's, it's crazy, right? We got regular people serving an extraordinary God, but that means we got regular problems too. You know, and not only that, but you end up having kind of some supernatural challenges, you know, because the enemy's not great with having a staff of Christians going out and spreading the gospel. So, so you got kind of supernatural challenges, regular challenge. Ministry is not very easy. So today's message that I'm going to be sharing with you is the mess of ministry. It is part 25 of our Empowered Church series. We're walking through the book of Acts line by line. If you're brand new, I'll catch you up. No worries. It's going to be great. But I, I want to talk about this idea of serving the Lord. You realize that every single one of us that are believers, we are ministers, period. Doesn't matter whether you have a title, doesn't matter whether or not you have a paycheck, doesn't matter whether or not other people call you pastor, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What that means is you walk in the power and the authority of the Lord. It means that you have the same Holy Spirit flowing through you than anybody on staff does, so there's no such thing as, well, I gotta hold back and maybe I should just wait for those professionals to come in and do it. No, 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 you are the church. And what that means is you're partnering with the Holy Spirit in what you're doing. And therefore, it is the coolest thing you could ever spend your life doing. I don't care whether or not it's something you feel called to in full-time ministry, which I think it should be very few of us, right? Because Christianity was designed to be spread all over the world, not to all be housed in a building called a church. Uh, I, I believe that your pulpit may be at your workplace, it may be with your friends, it may be somewhere else, but, but it is one of the greatest things you could ever be a part of because you become the front lines for watching transformation and miracles. When you are stepping out for God, you're going to see things that will keep your spiritual vibrancy alive. So once again, I mean, it could, be, it could be anything. Let me give you an example, and this is kind of a tangible, practical example, because we have a table in the lobby talking about this. Uh, let me just highlight one of our things. At, at Bridgeway, we do care very well. Our care and compassion department, whether or not it is, it is a matter of, do you realize we have a whole counseling wing? Our counseling wing, Soul Care, is one of the greatest counseling departments in all of Northern California. We have this exceptionally high level quality and the, our whole job is to subsidize it and knock down the price so it's far less than anywhere else because we're just trying to get help to people. 
Do you realize that if there is an emergency in your life, if there's something that comes upon you, whether that is very sudden, we actually have a chaplain hotline that we have first responders as part of our congregation that will call you back and if they need to come over and pray over you, if there's something like an accident in your family or whatever you would think that maybe a chaplain could help out with, they're there for you. But what happens if maybe it's a little bit longer? It's not something you'd handle in a therapist's office. You're just doing life, life is hard. And it's not immediate, an emergency anymore. Let's say for example, you're going through a really rough divorce. It was never your idea, never your plan and it feels like it has just thrown you sideways. Who's gonna be there to walk alongside you? Our pastors cannot keep up. What we need is the body ministering to the body, and we have what's called Stephen ministers. Have you guys heard about this? So our Stephen ministry are folks that have been trained, and when I say trained, I'm not playing. 70 hours of training goes into you. And it's a member of the congregation. Once again, doesn't have to be professional, doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's regular, ordinary people doing extraordinary ministry. And and we need more of you. It's kind of why I'm bringing it up. Because not only is it a blessing, but it's a necessity, right? Yeah, you're going to see stuff nobody else gets to see. You're going to be there watching someone be comforted by the Holy Spirit through your words. So let's say, for example, you're had a medical diagnosis and you know you're gonna have to walk through kidney dialysis for a long time. You just need someone to check in on you, someone that can pray for you, somebody that can say, hey, I have you on my heart. That's what a Stephen minister does. And we're looking for him, but we can't just have anybody, right? I mean, a bunch of us are kind of like me. We're loud mouths. Nobody wants a loud mouth coming into your house all the time. What we need is somebody who is really passionately in love with the Lord, but has that kind of quieter demeanor, kind of that care and compassion heart, who's a helper by nature. And the reason why I'm highlighting this is because so many of you go, well, I don't know if I could do ministry around here. I don't like public speaking. Okay, hold on a second. The vast majority of every ministry we do here is not public speaking. This ministry might be designed exactly for you because what we're looking for are good listeners, not good talkers. We need someone that can come in gently and say, tell me what's going on in your life. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to be with you. If that is something that you think you can do, we actually need you to step into this role. And it's a bit timely because we're just finishing up the application process only through the end of the month. We got a training coming in in October. And if you can dedicate yourself to that, and that's something that you go, man, I know the Bible well enough. I'm mature enough in the Lord to be able to just love on somebody. I would love for you to be a part of that. Make sure that you, you join that table. You can always go on the website, find out more under the care and compassion tab, stuff like that. But he, here's my point. If you do something like that, you're a minister of God. You're a pastor in a very small way but a powerful way. And when you do that, you're partnering with God in a way that you see miracles. Too many of us feel like our Christian lives are boring, and that is because you're not walking out in risk. You're not doing something outside of your comfort zone. The passion for Christianity comes from being a bit on the edge. 
And sometimes we need to get out there and go do something. And we're going to learn about when we get out there and do something, there are ups and downs, good and bad, easy and difficult. And that's what we're going to read. What we're going to do is we're going to study again in the book of Acts where the brand new Christian church launches. It's kind of a mess. Paul the apostle has been sent out on his first official missionary journey with Barnabas, another great man of God. They're going to do a year-long mission trip covering all this territory. They've already gone through the island of Cyprus. They're now up into what we call Asia Minor or up in modern-day Turkey. And they're going to finish doing a couple cities, and then they're going to come home. All that is in the chapter in front of us. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 14? Acts chapter 14, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It is page 923, 923. So we will kick all this off with a fill in the blank on that sheet in front of you, and it is this, serving God isn't always easy. Serving God isn't always easy. Is it right? Yes. Is it powerful? Yes. Is it easy? No, it is not. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch and see the ups and downs of Paul's ministry and say, hey, what does that have to say about ours? All right? Okay, let's dive into it. Now, I will be using city names just once for the sake of those whose hands will fall off. We have, we have a sign language team that does not appreciate significantly long biblical names for no reason. So you're going to hear me say the word city a lot. Okay, here we go. First one, now at Iconium. Yeah. Whoop. Now at Iconium. They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jewish leaders stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who he bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of the assassination attempt and they fled to many cities and to the surrounding area. And there they continued to preach the gospel. All right, let's talk about it for a moment. What is happening is that they're going through uh, the territory in modern-day Turkey on a very commercial road. We read all these cities, and we're like, well, why'd you go there? Why'd you go there? Because it was simply the commercial route. It's called the Royal Road. So you had main thoroughfares. One of the things the Roman Empire gave to us was ease of travel. They began to create roads, and so that allowed travelers to get places easier and so some roads were bigger than other roads. If you're out in the rural area, you're in more danger. If you're on a main thoroughfare, it's a little bit safer. So these missionaries are just going along a normal route, right? All right, cool. So they come to this town, and this town has an interesting history. Now, without going into all the fancy 
super ancient stuff, I do want to highlight one piece. And that is, oddly enough, in AD 150. Okay, now once again, we are currently in this story in AD 47. So if you can jump 100 years forward, somebody wrote a book called The Acts of Paul. Now, it's not biblical, it's not in your Bible, could be totally bogus. There's a lot of books that people wrote, but it's a very ancient text, and it's only 100 years from when Paul lived. So you go, wow, I would love to know what they have to say about him. And you can kind of read it like that. You don't read it as if it's gospel, but you read it as if it's interesting. Well, in that book is the only physical description of Paul that we have in ancient literature. Now, is it right? I don't know. Somebody could have just been writing a novel. I have no idea. But they're pretty specific about it, right? And they believe, that the way that they wrote it, Paul was coming into this very town, and they describe what he looks like. It's almost like scene, right? The sun setting. <laughs> Paul walks in off the desert. Ching! Right, that kind of thing, all right. Now, here's what they wrote. I think this is fascinating. A man of small stature. You're like, oh, he's short. With a bald head and crooked legs. Oh, this is not going well. But in a good state of body. What? Ooh, he's scrappy and ripped. With eyebrows meeting. What? Okay, we need to pause. That Paul was a unibrow. <laughs> Understand, everyone, eyebrows are plural for a reason. Clearly no one shared this with him. A nose somewhat hooked, interesting, but full of friendliness. For he appeared like a man, but he had the face of an angel. Oh, interesting. This seems awfully specific, does it not? You're like, now if you were really going to write a story about a, you know, a super awesome person, this is not what you'd put on the cover of the romance novel. You know what I mean? You're like, ooh, a crooked-legged man. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. What was he like? I don't know. I find this stuff fascinating because they don't get to tell you oh, what was their personality like, what did they look like, and it's, you kind of picture them, right? We all do that with Jesus. We all have different pictures of what he's like in our mind, but we get more description about him. So whenever I see something like this, I'm like, do you remember these are real people? Okay? These are not superheroes. They're not fake. These are real, regular people, just like you. You are the Bible being written today. You understand what I'm saying? Same Holy Spirit, same mission, Let's get out there and do it. Okay. All right. So what happens is it says, when they began to preach, many believed. And it was like all across the board. The ministry was awesome. And it says, but, and there always seems to be something that you go, ministry was great, but then something bad happened. Or, wow, things were going super good at the church, but there was resistance. It seems like there's always a counterpunch. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, I'm a brand new believer. I got saved. Woo, my sins are forgiven. Oh, shoot, I lost my job. You know what I mean? There's always something that's like a counterweight on it. And it's because I don't believe the enemy really enjoys the advancement of the kingdom of God. So there seems to be a movement to then resist it. 
So sure enough, it says, but some bad guys began to poison the minds of the people. Meaning at first they were like, dude, Christianity seems legit. Then somebody just started whispering stuff and it ruined everybody's heads. So a couple things. I want to talk about this for a moment. When are we saved? Are we, are we saved at the moment of excitement? Because I mean, you got to remember, there's all kinds of us that are in this room, all kinds of us listening online. Are we saved at the moment of excitement or realization? Wow, Jesus died for me? Are we saved at the moment of surrender? Lord, you can have all of me. Are we saved at the moment of commitment? Jesus told a parable called the parable of the sower. Pretty, pretty popular, most of you know it. It says there was a man who was sowing seeds. The seed was like the word of God. Some of that fell upon a hardened rock path. And the birds came and took it away. That would be the enemy coming. You hear about it and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Boom, something else steals it from you. Then some of it bounced over on some pretty hard dirt. So it kind of got in there, but kind of got scorched pretty easily, didn't have any root. There was no commitment there. Some of it bounced over onto some pretty soft soil, but man, there were so many thorns competing for it and it just choked it out. It's those people that just go, man, I really want Christianity, but I don't wanna leave the world behind. He said, but then some fell on great soil and there was so much harvest. Okay, so when are we locked in as children of God? It's interesting because some of us are like, yeah, I'd check Christian on my box, on my poll form. Yeah, but does that make you a believer? I don't know. Or do we have something in our heart where we say, God, I am yours and you are mine? I don't know, right? So these people, they heard and everything looked like it was going great, but then some bad guys come in and they poison the minds. That word says uh, in Greek that they were giving contrary opinions. And that was really messing with people's faith. So I got a question for you. Do you do this? You're like, what? I don't poison people's mind. Okay, hold on. You guys remember when Jesus told his followers, hey, I'm going to die and leave you. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not talk about that. You're killing morale. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Peter, you do not have the things in mind of God, but the things in mind of man. Peter didn't know he was poisoning the minds of his buddies, but he was. Because he was not speaking the Lord's will. He was speaking his opinion. Y'all, I don't know if we're doing this or not. You understand what I'm talking about? We sure throw out our opinions really freely. And I'm not quite sure we're always sharing the opinion of God in what we're talking about, right? You might be poisoning the minds of other people who are trying to find out what God's will is for their life, but you got some other agenda. You got some political agenda. You got some, some other family agenda. You got some power trip. I don't know what you got, but when you're sharing, if you're a Christian, you need to be sharing the opinion of God not just our own, right? So sure enough, it causes all this confusion. And then it says, so Barnabas and Paul remain for a long time. Why? Because true discipleship and transformation doesn't happen overnight. 
There are some things you're never gonna know in ministry if you don't stick in there. Because a lot of us, we kind of go in, once it gets difficult, we bail. But you're not gonna see the fruit until you wait for it to come to pass, right? So they stayed, says they spoke boldly for the Lord. They're telling their testimony. They're telling what the testimony of the apostles were. They're helping people uh, understand what Jesus meant. Do you understand that our job is not to shove the gospel down people's throats? Our job is to remove obstacles from their path so they can honestly engage with the gospel. What do I mean by that? There's some people that are in your life and you're like, hey, you know, I'm a believer in everything. Do you want to be a Christian? They're like, ah, oh, I never want to be a Christian. Those, those people are hypocrites. And you're like, well, let me stop you there. Hold on. I think everybody are hypocrites and I think some of them got in the church. That's true. I think my pastor's one of them. However, broken people don't negate the truth of the gospel. You're removing some type of block that they have an assumption. I don't want to be a Christian. They are X, whatever that, that fill in the blank is. Our job is to say, hold on, hold on. Is that Christianity or is that simply the Christian subculture that you've noticed, right? Our job is to remove stuff out so they can really engage with the good news for themselves. All right, it says this, and God backed them up by allowing them, that's what the word granted is, allowing them to do signs and wonders with the laying on of their hands. What are signs and wonders? Miracles that point to God, right? A wonder with a sign, signs point to things. Okay, so they got a chance to do miracles by their hands, but here's the interesting part about it. It wasn't God's hands, it was their hands. What does that mean? We have to do something. God wants to move through us. Too many of us are gonna say, well, I wanna stay on my couch and God will do the miracles. But what if he wants to do them through you? Somebody's gotta lay the hands on. Somebody's gotta do the prayer. Somebody's gotta do the deliverance. Somebody's gotta do the healing. Are you going to be that person? That it's not a matter of sitting back and letting God do it. God says, I could always do it without you. I don't want to. I want to move through you. So here's what I'm going to say, Bridgeway, and this will be taken extraordinarily out of context. I understand that. Bridgeway, I want you to go out and touch more people. <laughs> I'm telling there's got to be a lot of touching. You got to get out there and touch. We got to lay hands on people. I'm just saying we are way too removed. We are not laying hands on people in prayer. We are not going out on a limb of saying, listen, I want to be here to minister for you, right? We're very hesitant. I just need us to get out of our comfort zones, right? How in the, yeah, praise God. Come on, come on. See, I truly believe that Christianity is fascinating when you get to partner with God as opposed to be an observer of God. Let's keep moving forward. So an assassination attempt comes up. They hear about it. And this is so weird because Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other, but they have a common enemy. Who's that? Christians. So these bad leaders of this side, and there's bad leaders of this side, not all the people, come on. All the people loved them. But the leadership, they come in and they get together and they do an assassination attempt. Paul and Barnabas find out about it and they get out of Dodge. Now, when are you supposed to stay and when are you supposed to run? right? Uh, here's the simple answer. 
either you track on what the Holy Spirit says in the moment, or you go with your calling. If your calling is to die, you die. If your calling is to minister to people, you get out of there and go love on more people. What do I mean? You're like, well, whose calling is to die? Hold on. Anybody ever read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs? Anybody read of that? Read that? Good, you people are weird. All right, praise God. It's a great book to read to your children at night, right before they go to bed. Uh, it is, it's a recounting of all the horrific murders of Christians, right? Oh, this person was flayed. Oh, this person was burned alive. But it's a collection of all these people in history that have died for their faith. And when you read that, there are some of them that walked into it boldly because they knew that the blood of martyrs would fuel the fire of God. And they were like, listen, my job isn't to live longer. My job is to live meaningful. Man, I will die for my Jesus right now. If that's your calling, you die. Otherwise, you get out of there. Now, if you get caught, God said, oh, you have a different plan, right? And that's his plan, okay? That's fine. But their job, they wanted to get out of there, and they fled. So they went 18 miles south and kept preaching. So let me ask you a question. Was that city a win for the gospel? Because when you're in ministry in real life, it's really hard to tell while you're doing it. Because you're like, well, at first it was awesome, and like everybody was totally into it. Then like they all wanted to kill us, and that was not awesome. But some people believe, but man, a whole bunch of them didn't. Then I don't know. When you're in real ministry, it's so messy, it's hard to tell if you're advancing. Because we always think that spiritual growth of a person is linear. So you're trying to say, well, I've been trying to minister to my neighbor and they should, little bit by little bit, according to the book that I'm reading, they should be coming towards Jesus. Okay, that's not how it works. Sometimes you're pouring into them and you're loving on them. Then they go through the worst season of their life. They end up in jail. They come out of jail and then they start living for Jesus. And what you realize is they had to go down before they could go up. And so for us, our job is to be faithful in the middle of the mess and say, God, this is in your hands. I'm just going to be faithful. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So the whole purpose of it is you won't see it until retrospect to know whether it was a win. Be faithful. I got to tell you, when I come out here and I do these sermons, there's no way for me to know actual benefit. I wouldn't know for maybe years. So I have to go out, and what's so hard about it is you go out and you do your best, and you leave it in the Lord's hands. Boy, leaving it to someone else is hard, because you go, but God, I want to know whether or not it was worth it. Hold on a second. What do you mean worth it? You're the servant. He calls the shots. It's always worth it if you did what he asked you to do. Amen? All right, let's keep moving forward. Verse 8, crazy story, takes a total left turn. Now at Lystra, just a city, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Now that's three ways of saying he's paralyzed. And you're like, okay, we get it. Well, hold on. You'll find out that's kind of a big deal. He listened to Paul speaking. Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had the faith to be made well, shouted at him, 
Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Wow, that was weird. Not a lot of lead in there. Just kind of like, oh my gosh, right? Okay, let's break this down for a second. It says, there's this guy who's never walked, and he was listening to Paul. And you're like, well, of course he's listening to Paul. Paul has the microphone. Everybody's listening to Paul. This is a huge crowd. They're all listening to Paul because he's the dude talking. No, no, no. Sometimes there's a difference between listening and hearing. This guy was listening as if it mattered. He wasn't distracted. He was locked. And he's staring at Paul. It says, then Paul looked intently at him. Okay, once again, last time Paul looked intently at someone, he blinded them. Do you remember this? He was like, and darkness and mist come upon you. Okay, so this is why you never make eye contact with a charismatic pastor. Amen? Okay, as I'm looking all at you, mm, I can see you, right? You're like, look away <laughs> till he passes. Okay, I'll wait. <laughs> Well, sure enough, he looks at him intently, and then he yells at him. I'm not sure why he yells. I think all pastors just have to get loud periodically for no reason at all. He yells at him, and he's like, get up. The guy springs up. Oh, my gosh, I'm healed. Okay, question for you. What's a greater miracle? That God just increased bone density, created ligaments that have the ability to stretch, creates muscle that has been atrophied and maybe is so dormant it doesn't even know how to work. What's a greater miracle? That or the fact that he knows how to balance? He's never walked. Have you ever watched a baby learn to walk? What do they do? Toddle, right? Hey, I'm crawling. Oh, look, now I'm unsteady. How do they learn to jump? Is that not an advanced move? How the heck does he know how to do heel to toe? How do you know that? Do you understand while you're walking, you are making a million adjustments. You know that a lot of it balances on your big toe. That is your stabilizing muscle. How does he know any of that? He's never walked before. And poof, he springs up. God did such a radical miracle that he remapped the guy's entire brain that instantly he knew how and what to do. Everyone was blown away. I mean, this is so radical. Everyone was like, no way, right? And it kind of got out of control. Take a look at verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, speaking in their language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices to them with the crowds. Okay, pause. This never happens to me. <laughs> I've never been at a speaking engagement and received a cow as a gift. Right? I don't, I don't know. You could try it. I think it's fascinating. What the heck is going on here? What a weird thing to, why would you react like, oh, the gods have come to, okay, hold on, hold on. You go, oh, those, those ancient, stupid, superstitious people. Be careful on that one. They're just as intelligent as we are. They are processing through what they know. They know in their mind Greek mythology. 
That's all they know. They don't have this theology book. They don't have any training. These are people that have no understanding of God. So they assume if something radically miraculous happens, it must be the gods. And you go, but they were very specific. They called out two particular gods, the boss god, fake god, which is Zeus. He's considered the father of the gods because he hands out their roles. And Hermes, who is a chief speaker for the gods. Why those two? Well, there was actually a very well-known Greek myth, and all this God stuff is bogus. Y'all know that, right? Okay. So there's a popular myth that they knew at the time that Zeus and Hermes had come to earth, some believed in this very region, and that no one recognized them as such until a poor peasant couple honored them they were then lifted up, and everyone that didn't show them hospitality was murdered and killed. So they were like, I ain't making that mistake. Man, I don't know who these guys are, but if they are those guys, I'm going to be like, hey, I brought you a cow. I brought you a garlic. You know, they're just like, hey, we love you. You're awesome. Because they didn't want to have any of that bad stuff on them. So it stirs up this whole, man, we got the gods among us. Now, real quick, how are they supposed to handle this? They have no idea what's going on. They've been doing ministry and they have their head down and they're praying for people. All of a sudden, there's this like mob bringing cattle towards them. They're like, what is happening? Look at verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out in a loud voice, men, why are you doing this? We are just men with a nature just like you. Actually, we brought you good news that you should turn away from all these vain things and turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in past generations, he's a good God. He allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, but didn't leave himself without witness. He did good to you. He gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Boy, these people were locked. You're a God. No, I'm not. You're a God. No, I'm not. You're a God. Okay. Why are, they, why are they ripping their clothes and being all dramatic? I mean, what? I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen the cartoon, The Road to El Dorado, but you can also just simply chuckle and go, <laughs> they think I'm a God, <laughs> and take advantage of that. Why wouldn't they do that? Why wouldn't they just play around with it? Because obviously they're not gods, but they're getting all intense. You gotta stop that, why? Well, two reasons. Number one, anybody remember what the Bible just said happened to King Herod? He came out in this amazing garb and everyone went, you're a god, and he was like, yes, I am. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> so first of all, they're like, note to self. Don't do that, okay? The second thing is it says they were doing signs and wonders. Signs pointing to who? God, what happens if the sign points to them? You just ripped off God's glory. That's a no-no. And they were like, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. Your eyes are on us, and this is really going to go badly. The God of all creation did this. And we are actually here to tell you all this stuff you're doing right now is not best. 
Guys, there is a true and wonderful creator that wants a relationship with you. We're trying to get through to you. Stop with this madness. But it gives us an important truth. They, like Peter and John, who got to heal the guy at the temple gate, sounds very similar. That guy sprung up, right? And they had to say, guys, why are you looking at us as if by our holiness we made this person well? No, no, no. The name of Jesus made this person well. Okay. They say the same thing. Why is that important to us? Because in the year of power here at Bridgeway, let's be very clear on our facts, which are what? God does the power. You're the conduit, right? Which means you're not the God. You're the conduit. Are you precious to him? Yes. Do you compete with him? No. Do you steal his glory? No. But here's the interesting part about it. Some of us truly believe the only reason God's not using us more is we're not superpowered enough, that we're not good enough, that God doesn't love us enough, that we're not doing good enough things. If I only did more good things, God would give me more power. That is not true. Power is not a reward for doing good deeds. Power is when God wants to do something in partnership with his children in a relational way so there is greater relationship on the other side. You guys, the other thing is, oh, I couldn't possibly pray for somebody to be healed. I have sin in my life. Are you telling me there is anyone in this entire complex that doesn't have sin in their life? So stop with this whole, I'm not worthy. Let me get you there. You're not worthy. And neither are any of us. That's not the point. The point is not that you're God-like. The point is he's God. And he's coursing through you. Amen? What that means is I need us to be bold despite our flaws and failures. Okay? It's not about you. It's about God. Take a look at how this story turns. Verse 19. They're all calling them gods, but Jews, Jewish leaders came from a couple other cities. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, entered back the city, and on the next day, he went on to another city. Okay, pause. This is craziness. You're a God. You're a God. No, I'm not. You know what? You're not. I hate you. Ah, throw rocks. At you. You're like, whoa. Guys, what are you doing? Okay, real quick question. Are they gods or are they monsters? Neither. Why does that matter? This is very important. You're going to hear me say it again later in the series. There is no human being that can tell you your identity. They don't have enough information. You cannot allow either compliments or criticism to define you if it comes from a human being. As well-intentioned as they are, they're ignorant. As mean-spirited as they are, they're ignorant. Here's the truth. Only God gets to tell you your value, your worth, not people. If people think you're gods, they don't know what they're talking about. If people say you're worthless, they don't know what they're talking about. 
Your heavenly Father knows what you are and who you are and what he made you to be. And you must lock on his voice and ignore the rest. Now, there's nothing wrong with socially getting cues on how you are socially received. That's fine. That's called peer pressure and accountability and everything else. All that's great, but that doesn't get to tell you your value. You are precious because God says you are precious, period. Yeah, but so-and-so left me and -and so-and-so rejected me. Yeah, but they don't know who you are. Only God knows who you are, and he's not going anywhere. Amen? The other thing that I think that is really interesting, and I've always been trying to be very honest with the church about this, and that is, if I get stoned, I'm taking time off. (laughs) I'm not going back in the city. No, I'm not doing that. Dude, you just stoned me to death, right? I'm like, time out. Time out. That's brutal. Okay, so he's like, oh, uh, uh, rock, rock, and he dies. And then all of a sudden, all the people around going, oh, shoot, right? And they're like, our leader just died. So they're like praying and praying. All of a sudden, boop, he stands up. He's like, I got to go back in the city. They're like, dude, I think we should go somewhere else. Clearly, you are not wanted here. He's like, I forgot my baseball hat. You're like, oh, okay. So they go back in, they get his stuff. And then the next morning they take off, right? But then he's like, I got more business to do. And I'm like, I'm going to take a sabbatical right? It's this whole idea. This guy's so hardcore because here is his whole point. My life isn't about living longer. My life isn't about living safe. My life is doing what my father asked me to do. Guess what? That hasn't changed. He just did a radical miracle that got me back up and I'm not going to allow my past trauma to dictate my future ministry. Oh, snap, right? Think about that one for a second. You see, because some of us, we have allowed that which happened to us to chain us unnecessarily and limit what we believe God can do with us. Hold on. I'm much more interested in what God is doing with you and taking you than what happened to you because of mankind. Yeah? All right, let's keep moving forward. It says this, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to another and another and another strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And they said that through many challenges, we enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed leadership or elders for every church plant in every way, with fasting and prayer, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through a couple other cities, went down to some other cities. There they went home where they had been originally commended to the grace of God for the work to which they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with their family. Hmm. If you don't have good leadership, Dysfunction's going to come in. So as they went back through all those cities they had gone through originally, they got them saved. They planted a church, gave them a little bit of time to get their head in the game. Just came back through and said, all right, out of you, who is the Lord sought to make leadership here? Commissioned them and then moved on. 
But the part I wanted to close on was this. They had a home base to go back to. And that's where they recovered, they refreshed, and they remembered that people love them and they're not that big of a deal. You guys, we need a home base. I have never met a Christian that floats around to all different kinds of churches with no home base that was healthy in all my years of ministry. They all think they're healthy, but they have what's called a blind spot. They don't realize how weird they really are. You need friends around you to tell you you're weird. You need somewhere to call home. You need somewhere where people know you and have history with you. You need somewhere that people will hold you accountable and say, dude, you're not that big of a deal. I remember back, and this is a stupid story, but I remember way back in the day when I was doing music, I finished a concert. I was 19 years old, 18 years old. I was signing autographs, right? Oh, signing this glossy, signing this CD. Blah, blah. A CD is when they would put music. <laughs> signing all this stuff, and, and I go home, I drive home, and my mom tells me to vacuum. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's me. You're not that big of a deal. You vacuum the floor, that's what you do. You put your pants on one leg at a time, even if they're too short. <laughs> but you have a home base. It keeps you sane, it keeps you right. So if you can hear my voice, listen, you don't need to be at Bridgeway. We are surrounded by amazing churches. If you're listening to me online, you're listening to me on the radio, listen to me everywhere, you've gotta get a home base. Stop the floating thing. Knock it off, because you become all up in your head, and you're your own God to you. Knock it off. We've got to be healthy, amen? All right, so we're going to close with this. Some of us need a miracle today. Do miracles happen today? Yes, they do. If you need a miracle, I would like you to stand. We're going to pray for you. Just stand right where you're at. We're going to take some time and just pray as we close out. doesn't matter what your miracle is, but I just want you to stand where you're at. We're going to pray. Let's do this. Heavenly Father, we stand to you knowing that it is only from you that we would receive a touch of heaven. We don't pretend that it is from mankind. We don't pretend that it is from ourselves, that we are going to the source. Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one that is high and lifted up. Holy Spirit, you're the one that is coursing among us even now in the room, even now in our hearts, even now in this church. And so we ask that you would touch your people. So in the name of Jesus and under his authority, we speak to our bodies and we say, bodies be healed in Jesus' name. That if there is physical pain, may that which is causing the pain be righted right now. That the inflammation would calm, that it would be restored. That, Lord, that our bones would begin to fuse, that our aches would begin to subside. That, Lord, in your precious name, we pray authoritatively to be able to say, minds, be made right. That some of us are struggling in our minds with anxiety and depression and mental illness, be made right in the name of Jesus. 
Now, there's some of us that are struggling relationally, and we just pray, Lord, you'd begin to work on our heart and work on their heart. Lord, there are some things that the enemy got in on. There's some things that the flesh stirred up. There's some things that were said and done that are absolutely not okay. So I just pray, Lord, you'd begin to heal. God, some of us are concerned about our kiddos and our grandkiddos. We pray that you would give them friends and people to surround them that would come into their life and lead them to you. There's some of us that are worried about finances. God, would you begin to provide, even while you're teaching us to be better stewards of our money, that, Lord, that you would begin to provide and provide and provide, that, Lord, that we would know it is from your hand and none other, even though it comes through people. God, there are some of us right now where we're struggling with a loss of hope, And we have very, very dark thoughts in our minds and in our hearts. And I pray that you would shatter that roof and light would begin to stream in. Lord, if it is a chemical imbalance, would you make it right? If it is simply situational, would you make it right? That God, that we are not hopeless, lost people. We are children of God. So Lord, I just pray in this room right now that miracles would begin to break out and that they would be signs that point back that it was not a church, it was not a person, it was the almighty God that ministered to their hearts. You may be seated. And so God, we ask that we would be able to go out now commissioned with the authority and power of your spirit that as we lay hands on people, there would be a might and a ferocity that rages, that would shut down that which is oppressive, that which is diseased, and it would make it right in the name of Jesus. We ask all these things in that precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen.